When I was a young guy in my 20s, my dad had a church in Selkirk, and it was a small church at the time, and so I was there working with him as a pastor, and we couldn't afford another pastor, so I just began to train and worked as a paramedic, and it was out of a hospital. And so I worked within the hospital, within the paramedic program, and just saw so many things, miracles that I write about in the book, The Spirit Contemporary Life. And if you want to see a lot of them, that's where we put a lot of them. And um, as I would see what God was doing and teach within the church and to our youth group, people began to hear about it, and they'd invite me to speak at conferences and churches. And I began to speak. One of the groups that would bring me in was full gospel businessmen. And uh, so for those of you who went around a little while, they were hugely successful. They would pack out the biggest uh, coliseums in cities, and uh, they would do smaller meetings and conferences for business people to come. And, and, uh, but at the conferences, I began to meet people that I had read their books. I had heard their messages. They had changed my life. They had impacted me in a powerful way. And all of a sudden, I'm in the green room with them as we're getting called out to each do our different messages. And, and I remember just being in awe. I mean, I couldn't imagine anything greater than to meet them, sit with them and visit and ask questions and hang out. And, but I noticed something that really began to bother me. They didn't live up to the picture I had of them. I mean, I thought that that guy could probably treat his wife a little better. That guy's a little arrogant with me and this person over here. And I began to judge them and look at them. And I had built up this picture of them that they didn't measure up to. And I remember literally just having a crisis as I'm trying to deal with this. And I began to realize that God doesn't use us because we are perfect. He uses us because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And today I want to talk to you about your troubled heart. I want to talk to you about what keeps so many people back. And as I began to meet and get to know these people, I fell in love with them all over again, meeting the real them, because I recognized that the gift of Jesus that is within them is what is coming out. In that flawed, broken, imperfect vessel, God was using them. And when you go back into law or you begin to look at yourself through the judgments of religion, or harsh parenting, or you were raised up somewhere where you were just, I mean, the hammer was just lowered, and so you became so self-conscious of everything uh, that you did or have done, you begin to recognize or begin to feel that if God's going to use you in a greater way to touch people, that you must become whatever it is in your head you feel like you've got to become. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19 shares it this way. It says, If we live like this, we shall know that we are children of the truth. And we can reassure ourselves 
in the sight of God. You can reassure yourself in the sight of God. That's a picture. You want, wow, you're with God? Yeah, you'd, you'd feel so low compared to him. Reassure. And then it says, even if our own hearts make us feel guilty. Let's stop right there. The King James says your heart condemns you. Some of the other translations say that you, you, when, you're, when your heart is conflicted and condemning you and guilty, and you're looking at what you've done or what you're not and what you don't measure up to, and everything within you that you've measured yourself against is wanting and not good enough. And so you right away you think, so you got to deal with your heart. No, no, what it says, God is infinitely greater than our hearts. That's interesting. The heart is the deeper part of who you are. Okay? The heart is where your identity is. The heart is the deepest beliefs that you have collected all during your life. And if those heart beliefs are incorrect or negative, then they will always trouble your emotions. They will trouble your peace. They will trouble your sense of achievement You'll be forever measuring yourself against others and comparing yourself. You'll be easily tempted into sin because you somehow have judged that you don't get this or that. And it's a horrible thing that takes place here. And this heart is your future. The heart is what God looks at, not because he sees what your future is going to be like. Will you change and grow? Will you handle each um, um, season of your life? Or will you continually struggle with a heart that troubles you? And he's writing to Christians. If we don't figure out how to deal with our troubled heart, now, you're not going to be able to walk in this incredible peace, this incredible rest. And next verses say, and dear friends, when we realize this, our hearts no longer accuse us. Whoa. You mean everybody's heart accuses them? Yes. If the teaching that is in your heart, the beliefs of your heart that have been formed there come from just law and we need rules and principles. That's not what I'm talking about. But your identity comes from that. And you've done things and you've judged yourself and you've never measured up or whatever has gone on in your past. But when it comes to being in God's presence and God using you, listen to me close. None of us measure up. And so your heart will condemn you. It will. And if it doesn't, you're messed up. And I'll deal with that in a minute. If it says, for God is infinitely greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. And so he's saying here, and it goes, oh, let's keep reading it. We receive whatever we ask for. Because we are obeying his orders. You see, Leon, all these orders, just a minute, following his plans. His orders are that we should put our trust in the name of Jesus, his son, and love one another. The man who does not, the man who does obey God's commands, okay, lives in God, and God lives in him. 
and the guarantee of his presence within us, the guarantee of his presence within us is the spirit he has given us. It is not your performance. It is not how many Bible verses you've memorized. It is not how incredibly mannerly and perfect that you've been able to live. This is talking about what are the things that we are to do. If before you ever try to live better, which we all want you to, because if you're in a relationship with us and you all want me to, we all want to grow and change. But before you ever look at any of that, you must believe on the finished work of Jesus first. In this finished work of the cross is where you receive your identity. Okay, Your kids born into your home don't get your family name or your DNA uh, or all the blessings that go with you because they earned it. They were just born into it. That's it. Born into it. That's why we are born again. A lot of people will often struggle with getting the presence of God or the supernatural to work in their lives for healing, uh, to get it to work in their lives, for moving on. Um, and they don't realize that their heart is condemning them. Now, some do. I have noticed that those who come from a greater sin background have a greater, an easier ability to receive God's grace and to move in the miraculous. Now, that's after 40 years of working with people. And you go, why is that? Because they don't even try to earn it. They know they're messed up. They know they ain't got a chance of a snowball in hell. So this sounds too good to be true. I'm in. And then somebody raised in religion is sure they're going to go further and better because of their performance and their behavior. Now, your performance and your behavior is going to determine all of your relationships. It's going to determine a lot of things in life, but not your relationship with God. That's determined by the, by the lifestyle of Jesus and his finished work. When you don't start there, you get into religion and your heart will trouble you. It will continually condemn you. You will know what the word says in your head, but you will not be able to walk out this place of peace. Why this is disastrous is that out of the heart is where faith produces answers. This is the victory, 1 John 5, 4, that overcomes anything in the world. It's our faith, but not your head faith, a heart faith. So to not deal with your troubled heart, to not deal with this sense of I don't measure up, I'm not good enough, what have I done wrong, always expecting the negative to happen, Murphy's Law, to be in a room full of people and just know if they really knew what you were like, they wouldn't be your friend. They'd ask you to leave the church and you don't realize that everybody's looking right back at you feeling exactly the same way. It's the human condition of your own heart condemning you. And it happens in Christians. I met a young man at a camp that I was... Uh, speaking at, who came from the same city I was in, and he was actually a hitman. He, uh, for the mob, he'd done some horrible things. He'd been wonderfully saved, and they were hiding him out in this camp uh, for a number of weeks until to see if they, you know, what was going to happen. Were they going to take him out? He disappeared, and so I began to spend time with him. We became friends, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. 
and uh, found out months later that he had kind of moved away to this little town, didn't really uh, keep up with me. And he had dedicated his life to Christ, but he had struggled with the things that he had done. So one day he decided that he wasn't worthy to live, and he put a shotgun to his stomach and decided he's going to end his life. Phoned up a friend of mine, another pastor, and tried to talk him out of it. No luck. He committed suicide, but did it in a painful way because he deserved to suffer. Tell that to his wife and his kids. And, but I remember thinking about that after and thinking he accepted Jesus' forgiveness, but he had not accepted this new life. I'm sure he's in heaven. But he had not understood the finished work of Jesus, that his acceptance into the beloved wasn't requiring him to live perfect. It's impossible. Jesus made it impossible by taking the law, which is already hard enough, and saying, oh, and by the way, if you think it, you've done it already. Well, now we're all messed up. And so this issue of calming your heart and finding rest is an issue that every one of us will have to deal with. And there's only one way to do this, and that is to look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Why do we call him that? Because it is only in Jesus that you qualify, and it's only in him that you can rise up with a new life. Now, here's the thing about people. When people don't do this, and they're born again. They have, you know, and I don't know where they are in that because to be born again means to believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that a miracle takes place in your spirit. And then you're to renew your mind. You're to focus on Jesus. And because it's his finished work. And so, but when people don't do that as Christians, now listen to me, I'm going to help somebody today. They get conflicted. Meaning, they, de- they live in a deception where their heart separates from their mind. And they live in the, the teachings of the mind, and they just kind of try to keep their heart at bay. And in doing that, you can use your own discipline, you can use your own um, sense of strength and mental acumen, and this is who I am, and so you can put that on at church, you can, you can do things, but, but here's the problem. You're, you're never going to go into the next season that God has for you. So you'll be a one-season person. And the thing is, is that your gifts will work regardless of what you do with your heart. The Bible says that the gifts are without repentance, meaning everybody who doesn't accept Jesus has gifts of music, government, entertainment, all these things. The gifts aren't taken away. They are still alive in you. And those desires that you were born with that are God-given, you can still get up and write songs that will go down in history and never serve Jesus. Um, But that gift works because the gifts are without repentance. You don't have to repent. Then you get your gifts. You're born with this way of thinking and music and, and athletic ability and leadership ability. And I don't mean you're born at all. You have to add skills to gifts. And so people will find out that I can kind of put my my troubled heart at bay, just push it back, and then train my mind, equip my mind, systems and structures and meditate and the word are and, and, and I can get a lot done. But if you really are honest with yourself, 
You've kind of like, the Bible uses James chapter 1. It says that when you look at who you are in the mirror of God's word, and you get up and walk away and forget, you walk in a deception. So it simply means that you are doing it in your own strength, your own skill, your own ability, and you're deceived because that's no longer who you are and what you have access to. And so as you turn and look to Jesus and the finished work of the cross, that everything is finished, and so therefore you walk in the finished work of Calvary, then you can learn to change the beliefs of the heart. And the Bible says that you can um, anchor your heart in grace. You can anchor your heart in the finished work of the cross. In James 1.22, doers, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Right away we go back to law. So I've got to stop lying, stop chewing, stop dancing, stop whatever your list is. But that's not what it's talking about here. Do you know what it's talking about in being a doer of the word? About focusing on Jesus, believing on Jesus. Let me give you a quick picture. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says to Jesus, If it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, Come. He steps out of the boat. He walks on the water. Then he starts to sink. Now, Jesus didn't grab him and go, This is because you told off um, Judas, this is because you were angry at Matthew. This is because when I, you weren't there for me for the last conference. This is because you're getting selfish, Peter. You sank because, like we would all do. What are the reasons we didn't get our miracle? But when you study it out, he just took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the storm. And then Jesus reached out and grabbed him. He's focused back on Jesus. That is a beautiful picture of the finished work. When you look at Jesus, people say, well, I just, I, I just see him smiling at me. Good. But the very first thing you need to get into the word about is what did he do on the cross? And what has he done for you? When you realize that he took your sin and then he took your punishment, he took your judgment he took all the accusations and the guilt and the condemnation and the things that harass you. And he traded in this great exchange his life for yours. And so as he is, so are we in this world. Holy Spirit needs to get this across to every new born-again believer first. Or their heart will forever, like my friend, condemn him. And it'll mess with your emotions. And it will, if you don't deal with it, even if you are successful to build up successful thoughts and a bulwark of structure that kind of keeps that at bay and, and worship God the best you know how, but you've never really looked at Jesus and beheld him and accepted humbly his life, then you are a forgetful hearer and not a doer. What does it mean? The Bible says in here, in James 1, 24, he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Again, everyone thinks that this word doer of the work means you better be giving, you better be tithing, you'd better stop lying, you better stop chewing, you'd better... But that, that, that's not what it means. Read on. 
He's talking about believing on the finished work of Jesus. It is what all the Pauline epistles are dealing with from one angle or another, is the cross, the death, the resurrection, the ascension to the right hand of the Father, and he's continually to every church teaching them to stay focused on the finished work of Jesus as your access to the blessing, the favor, the ability of God. And once you get your eyes off this, then your heart is going to it, your heart is going to condemn you because your heart is like soil. It grows whatever's in it. When you go to a field and you see a crop there and it's growing the crop, go over to a wood fence post and pull it out. You know what you're going to find at the bottom of the hole? Moisture and nutrients because the soil's trying to grow the fence post. <laughs> it grows whatever you put in it. And so is your heart, which is why you guard your heart. It doesn't say God's going to guard your heart. You guard your heart. It doesn't say God's going to guard your children's heart. He gave them to you. You guard your child's heart. You guard their heart until they're smart enough to guard it on their own. And you teach them how precious that heart is, that if you do not keep focused on Jesus first and his ability, and etc., and his word, that there's stuff that can come in that can get planted in your heart, that if you don't deal with it, it can take you off like you. the heart's the most precious thing. It is the very seat of your identity. It is the very autopilot of your future. And so if we do not deal with heart, you will forever, when you're alone, when you're quiet, you'll feel something is wrong. You'll feel like things are going to go bad. I'm going to fail. You really won't feel like your life is going to continue to be an ongoing success, which the Bible says the season you're in now, there's another one. Just transition to it. And when you're done there, there's another one. Just transition. So the world goes, freedom 55, you old when you 55. Okay, That's an investor's uh, trick. And then we're going to help you save all your money so you can just cross your legs and sit by the pool. You just learned something by the time you're 65, and you ought to be the most stunning, amazing person. Why are we putting them to rest? It's just an investment trick to get you to save all your money, invest it all with them. And, to, and, and by the way, I'm not against that. I have no problem. And I am saving as great things the government does. But that is not who I'm going to be. I will be oversighting and leading, knowing that for every area of my life, if I'm alive and if I'm breathing, God has a plan. And he says from glory to glory, the light gets brighter and brighter, and that there is no age difference. He even uses Caleb as a man of 80, who he started at 80, and he took his mountain, and he prepared for his kids, and he owned the territory, and he took out his giants, and the greatest season of his life was 80 and on. So we've got to stop living in this way. You just need to know that your own heart is going to condemn you if you do not do the work Jesus teaches in Mark 4 of taking the word. Now, you can't do it on your own Holy Spirit. It is his job to take the word of God and to teach you the word of God. And so as you look at the Bible, it says here very carefully, and I'm reading from the Phillips translation because I love the way these translators put it together. It says, dear friends of mine, when we realize this, our hearts no longer accuse us. You can fool everybody in life, but you will never fool your own heart. That's the blessing, and that's the heartache. So when it says, if you know this, know what? If we back up, it is that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything.
All right. He knows every crazy thought. He knows every teenage sin. He knows every weakness, every anger, every bitterness. He knows all that is going on. There's not a thing you can hide from. If you're going to pray and talk to him by yourself, you may as well be real because he knows more about you than you know about you. He says you don't even know your own heart, and he knows it. And so it says God is infinitely greater than our heart, and he knows everything. If you're trying to keep a secret from somebody, because if they find out, it's going to hurt you. And you just start imagining, if I find out, they're going to find out. Oh, oh, oh. But once they know, pressure's gone. And once it's dealt with and they don't care or they've processed it and it's over, um, it no longer has power to bring fear. And this is what it's like between God. God is infinitely greater than your heart tracking all your inconsistencies, all your inability to rise up, and you looking at your future knowing, I don't have what it takes. If people really knew, I mean, I feel like that all the time, and I've got to get on top of it because I go, boy, I mean, God, what are you doing now? Like, really? You want me to do that? What? Like, uh, and, and then you've got to focus on Jesus. That's where the supernatural power of God comes. And then you've got to stay there. And as you meditate, the word of God gets planted in your heart. And your heart begins to shut down. It's doubting and it's worrying. And how much are you going to lose if you risk this next step for the ministry or whatever God's called you to? In your life, I just want you today to be very aware that you have a mind and your mind can reason things out. But the miraculous comes out of your heart. So your mind is where your reasoning is, but your heart is where your identity is the way you look at it. And so who are you? Well, you know, yeah, I already got it. Well, the word says, I'm glad the word says you can have literally a, um, a mental assent to God's word. But until Holy Spirit takes the word and touches the heart and your heart gets established in grace, you will find that the law and all that's been taught you. And, and I know people who live so perfectly, I can't find a thing wrong with their life, raised in Christian homes. And it's even worse for them because they, don't have an, they just don't ever measure up because they've been just steeped. They've been pickled in religion rather than looking at Jesus. And so, as today, we come to a close, I want you to recognize that in every area of your life, start every day with being thankful that Jesus, he died in your place, and he exchanged his life for yours. I love Galatians 2.20. It was my dad's favorite verse. And now I know why, as I've grown up and work with all that's gone on, is he said, in the book of Galatians, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Say, crucified means killed. I'm dead. I am killed and dead and crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you don't understand that, you begin to think, what is wrong with God? Why can't I have a life for Pete's sake? I'm, I want my, well, I can't have my life. Because the two trees that were in the garden 
the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind chose that they would be their own boss and determine their own good and evil rather than eat from the tree of life and just look to Jesus to make all those, to God to make all those decisions. Today, whatever you can do in your own strength is but a spit in the wind to what God has prepared. And if you want your life to transition through every season that you're in into greater and greater, and there is no um, bell curve on God. Anybody who's in business, you know there's a bell curve that everything that you start will eventually hit its peak and it'll come down the other side. So what you do, if you're a corporation, and you personally as well, is you start a new bell curve on the way up before you, whatever you're doing starts hitting its zenith and coming down, and you continually have to start these new bell curves and reinvent yourself or whatever. With God... There's no bell curve. He just says the light grows brighter and brighter. You're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He says that ahead of you is all the favor and the blessing of God. And he doesn't put age on anything. It's just according to what you believe from the heart. So guard your heart, protect your heart, recognize the, that when you look to Jesus, you begin to fall in love with him. And when you realize how much God loves you and how much he values you, then you no longer care what the crowd says. You no longer say care what social media says. You no longer look for your peers. A stunning verse is in Genesis where Joseph, once the apple of his father's eye is kidnapped, beaten, thrown into a hole, sold into slavery, naked, chain around his neck, going off to a foreign country where Potiphar buys him as a slave. And the first thing it says once Potiphar buys him, because his new identity to Potiphar is my slave, it says, and Joseph was a successful man. What a crazy scripture. Because if I ask you, are you successful? You will determine the success by a successful marriage and family, a successful career, your peers acknowledging you, the amount of money you have, uh, etc. And he owned nothing, had nothing, no influence. He was nobody. He was a slave. He was naked and standing before his owner. And it said he was a successful man. So God must have a different definition of success. God's definition of success is the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Anytime that phrase appears in the Old Testament, they never lost, they never failed. When that phrase appears for different places, they Solomon could lead the greatest kingdom the world had ever seen. When we look at the world's thinking, when we look at even allowing our heart to say things to us, I'll, we need, as we spend time with Holy Spirit and the Word, let Him prepare you for the next season. And today in the crazy world that we live in, it's going to take us a few years to clean up the mess that poor leadership and somewhere there's evil leadership, have caused. And so we're going to have to rise up and not be afraid of this storm. Now, whichever camp you believe in, there's like four. And, but regardless of it, you'll have to know that Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you and that you actually are built for the storm. You see, if you build a ship for calm waters, when the storm comes, it'll fail. But if you build the ship for the storm, and you determine how deep that bow can go down into an opposing wave and still bob up. 
rather than this, you know, three inches clearance. Ah, it's going to be calm waters. Life doesn't have just calm waters. In fact, the greatest growth you will see in your life will be when the enemy takes a storm and he tries to take you out. And when he does, the Bible says God laughs, he'll turn it around. And he'll take you faster and quicker to the very thing. And what makes the difference? It's what you believe in your heart. So, man, I'm so out of time. But another thought is this, and I'm going to shut it down. If you can't control haunting feelings that keep rising up of failure, and I've shot my best shot, and, and I don't know if there's any more for me, and I don't know if dreams are going to be fulfilled, and who wants me, or however the enemy. Now, the enemy uh, will attack you with thoughts that he thinks come from your past, or that comes from what he has seen you fail at, so that that is probably where you're going to stay. But when your identity is in Christ's past, and in Christ's performance and in Christ's sacrifice, then you effectively draw a bloodline between your entire training and upbringing. And now you are a child of the Most High God. God is with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Believe it and let him begin to change the thoughts and the, the, the uh, discerning of your heart. Let him discern the thoughts and the intentions of your your heart, Hebrews 4.12, because he will do a work in you that'll take you to places. And by the way, he needs you to do that. He needs you to take that business to millions and hundreds of millions to finance the kingdom. He needs you to influence the people around you. He needs your kids saved. He wants your family to walk. He wants your marriage to resound with beauty and romance. He, he needs his presence to touch our lives and for you to succeed because the Bible says the word blessed means happy, fortunate, and to be envied. The world needs to be envious of the Jesus that makes such a difference in our lives. And and what's really interesting is you will enter a rest. It is a rest where your heart stops troubling you, accusing you, condemning you. And it does that when every time it begins to spit up, you say, I'm qualified by Jesus. I am on the way to every miraculous thing because of Jesus. Yeah, well, your performance is pretty bad. Yeah, I agree, but Jesus' performance is perfect, and it's his performance that qualifies me into the next season for God. Father, this message is so crucial to every one of us here today who need in the midst of the storm, in the midst of, of plateaus, in the midst of the enemy trying so hard to sealing us. We've got to believe ahead of us is the greatest days we've ever seen. And that everything for every one of us up to now is just the foundation that's being laid for the great things that the body needs. So, Father, for that person that's struggling with their mind and their emotions, let them listen to this message over and over and walk in at peace and have their hearts stop troubling them as they look to the powerful word. I'm asking you to do a miracle today, God. And I speak life. I pray that every person that was listening and open, that faith is arising in them in this area. And I declare breakthrough in the mighty name of Jesus today. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. I hope that helps you and touches you.